Hello, thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance his kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. So, so this morning, we're going to jump into a six-week series, and we're going to look at the basic Christian doctrines. Now, I want you to pay attention if this morning, if you say, why are we talking about basic things? I'm not a basic person. Right? Some people say, I'm not basic, right? You know, but it's important to establish the basics. It doesn't matter how um, mature you get. How many of you have ever seen... Um, a foundation begin to corrode or crack or deteriorate. It happens, right? You know, it happens. So this morning before I jump into this message, I don't want you to hear this message in where I'm communicating to you as an infant in Christ or that you are immature, that you need to grow. But I hope that as we cover all of these basic Christian doctrines, if you feel that you are mature, that your maturity is even increased. That if you already have a solid foundation, that that foundation is reinforced. Right? We don't want to continue to build on a good foundation and have it crumble out beneath us and everything fall apart. Okay, So we want to look at doctrine. So when we think about the word doctrine, the word doctrine is just a fancy word for instructions. So when we hear the word doctrine, because like someone's like, what are we talking about doctrine? Like, I mean, we're getting really deep and sophisticated here. But it's really just a set of beliefs taught by the church. Another way to think about doctrines is instructions or teachings that the Bible talks about. So leading into chapter 6, because we're going to look at Hebrews 6, 1 through 2 for the, for the context of each of these basic doctrines. And what we're going to do, we're going to take six weeks and we're going to look at every single one of them. Now, you may think, well, these are super, super simple. But you, you have to also realize that the basics are woven into all of the complex things. Right? We can't go on to the mature things if we have not yet established the fundamental basic things. Right? So let's look at this passage really quickly from Hebrews 5, 11 through 14, and then we'll look at Hebrews 6. In verse 11, it says, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Now let me pause. Who got mad? Nobody, we're still smiling. Okay, we're, we're going it's encouraging us, right? It's saying, hey, this is where you are. This is where you need to be. I hope that you're not right here if you've been serving the Lord for a long time. But guess what? If you're kind of over here in the shallow water, we're going to teach you to swim over these next six weeks because it's time to get to work. Amen. All right, we're going. All right. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. That means we don't know right from wrong. That's what it's talking about. Not understanding the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So when we look at that passage, there's a few things. It says, first and foremost, you no longer try to understand. The moment you, the moment you quit trying to understand, you quit growing. The moment you quit reading the word of God because you think you figured it all out, you kind of begin to decline. You become, you, your, your, your sword becomes dull rather than sharp, right? You know, the scripture we have to continually meditate on. We have to continually, but we have to keep growing. We have to keep trying to understand. Do you understand that you will never have God completely figured out? 
You got to wrap your mind around that. Like if you think you have arrived, try again. As long as I have served the Lord, the more that I come to know him, the more I realize there is a lack of what I know. Well, that doesn't make sense. That's the point, right? As we keep seeking, as we keep searching, as we keep striving to understand, we realize that there is more and more and more to understand. And in our life, God willing, we will see many, many facets of who God is. You know, we went to a museum and we went in one of the vaults that had all of the precious cut diamonds. And you know, when you look at a precious cut diamond, every angle that changes, you see a different cut and a different facet of who it is. That's how God is like. Right? He's not just the diamond, but he is all the integral parts of the diamond that make up his beauty. And the more cuts, the more value in all of these things. And as, as complex as just even that diamond cutting is and all of that, God is so much more complex. We will never fathom. We will never understand. But this morning, make sure that you are continually wanting to understand. It kind of gives us a slight reprimand in there. It says, you ought to be teachers, but you still need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. It would be like if I keep sending you back to second and third grade, how many of you get really, really mad? But if you don't learn what you need to learn in second and third grade, I can't move you to fourth, fifth, and sixth because those are, those are the fundamentals that you need to continue to move forward. How many of you think it would be completely ignorant not to learn addition and subtraction? Why do I need to know that? I don't think I need to know that. Guess what? If you don't learn that, multiplication and division is going to get more complicated. Right? You get, you get into all of the harder math facts and all of those things. If the fundamentals are not established, you will struggle. And I don't even think you will succeed if the fundamentals aren't there. I know in school, any time that I struggled, it was because I didn't get the step before the next step. You know, if I missed school for two days and they taught something fundamental, right? I think that's what happened, you know, in, in chemistry. I missed a few classes and I came back. I was like, what are we doing? Chemistry builds upon itself. And if you don't have every part, it will derail you. I said, take me back to the elementary principles. I'm not getting it. But it says that solid food is for the mature. But it gives us the reprimand, you need milk, not solid food. But listen, it says, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained who? They have trained themselves. Now, there is value in a pastor, teacher, leaders teaching you and help feeding you. You know what the whole goal of this series is? That I don't have to continually spoon feed you. It's cool. You know, you ever spoon fed a baby? It's nice and cute. When you're 42, it's not so cute anymore. But spiritually, like, we got to keep growing. We have to mature. We have to choose to be all that God has called us to be. How many of you truly, truly want to mature? Right? We don't want to be ignorant towards the things of God. We want to mature. So how do we do that? We do what the Word of God says. We believe what the Word of God says. And we don't forget what we've learned. Right? I get to multiplication, I get to division. Like, oh, I don't remember addition and subtraction. Guess what? Fundamental breakdown. I have to remember what I've learned if I'm going to succeed as I go forward. So the whole goal of this series is to help everyone grow and move from milk to meat. Can you say that? Say milk, milk. to meat. meat. Who likes milk? Compared to meat. Who prefers prefer milk over meat? Meat is way better. Or you haven't tasted the right meat. That's fine. Whatever. If I got a glass of milk and I got the best steak that there is to offer, 
going for steak every single time. Um, now, there is a season of immaturity that we have to realize. You know, just like I can't feed a newborn meat, right? Why? They don't have their teeth developed. They can't chew it. And how many of you remember that stage of where you cut up the steak? Spend 15 minutes cutting up the steak, then your steak's cold, right, for your children. But it was necessary so that they could eat it in smaller bites. That's what we're going to do through this series. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna begin to grow to move from milk to meat, okay? So Hebrews 6, 1 through 2 in the King James Version, this is going to be the core of the whole series. It says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrines of Christ, uh, the NIV says the elementary teachings, the basic principles, let us go on unto perfection. Let's go on to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. So listen to these right here. He's going to begin to tell you what they are. Repentance from dead works and faith towards God or the doctrines of baptisms and the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So what are the six? Number one, repentance from dead works is the first one. Number two, faith towards God. Number three, doctrines or instructions of baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. These are the basics. Now you're like, hey man, I was good until you you started talking about resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. But these are basics. Laying on of hands. These are basics. Doctrines about baptisms. Baptisms with an S. What baptisms is it talking about, right? All of these are fundamental basics, introduction, entry level. Now, some of us, if I say, okay, I want you to stand up and explain what all six of these are. You'd be like, ooh, teach me, teacher, right? Because sometimes I think we will struggle in not realizing what they are. So it is important to know what does he mean? What did the scripture mean? What, does, what are these basics? So the whole point of this passage is to establish the right doctrinal foundation that leads us from the basics into the more advanced teachings. That's the whole point. So as a starting point, um, it says that we should continually move towards perfection, which we should continually move towards maturity. Now, we have to understand that as a child grows, they become less and less dependent on the parent. Now, in our spiritual walk, it's kind of a reverse process, right? We, we, We become more and more dependent on God rather than less and less dependent on God. We have to keep growing, we have to keep learning, we have to keep maturing. But it says to reach perfection or sanctification. So perfection, it involves more than just a moral reformation of character brought about by the power of truth. This is not just a character conversion, but this is complete conversion or transformation. This is a work in the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life, changing the things that we can't change, illuminating and give us, giving us the enlightenment that we need to understand what his word says. How many of you have ever struggled understanding what the Bible says? Some of you? All of you got to figure it out? Who's preaching next Sunday? Right? It's tough. Like there's times where we don't know what it says. We don't know what it means, but the Holy Spirit can illuminate, can teach us those things. But it is a transformation that the Holy Spirit has to do in our lives. It's it's our whole nature becoming more and more under the influence of these gracious principles that God has put in his word. Right? When I read something, it doesn't mean that I've actually always arrived. But when I hear something or I read something, I have to know that that's for me. If God commands or instructs something, uh, instructs us in something, it's because we can achieve it, right? He didn't say, hey, try to do this, but good luck. Now, we have to understand a lot of these principles only come to pass by the grace of God working in our lives. 
But these gracious principles, they're implanted in the soul at the moment of surrender to Jesus. There's a desire that changes from pursuing the things of the world to pursuing the things of the spirit. And there should be a passion and a desire to please God rather than just pleasing ourselves. Now, as we unravel this, we, we, we have to understand that first and foremost, there has to be something established to make sure that everything we build on can be held. So what is the first part of a home that has to be established and built to make sure that it is a quality home? Foundation, right? But what does it say in this passage? It says, do not lay again the foundation of repentance from dead works. And it begins to list these things. Now, we have to understand that the foundation is critical to the whole structure. Now, depending on how high you build, depends on how you build the foundation. You know, if you're putting a shed, if you're just building a shed, well, man, you can get it. You know, this parking lot over here has five inches of cement. They said, ah, oh, you can go four and a half. I was like, let's go five. But the, the, the deeper the foundation, the, the thicker the cement, the more capacity. But if you're building a, you know, building a home versus building a skyscraper, how many of you know the engineering specs have to change because of the magnitude of the building? But our goal as Christians should be to build whatever foundation necessary to hold the magnitude of all of the things that God wants to do in our life. Later on is not to be like, oh, well, let's just move the house and redo the foundation. That's a bad move. Let's establish the foundation now so that whatever God wants to build throughout our lifetime will be able to be supported. Right? This is not laying again the foundation. For some of, those of you, maybe you have no foundation. You say, well, I never went to Bible school or I've never been taught. We are building the foundation now. For those of you who have a foundation, I'm not saying rebuild the foundation, but I'm saying reinforce the foundation. See if there are any cracks, if there's any deterioration, if there's any areas that need polishing, so that as we move forward, we can all build in a way that can support all that God wants to do. Amen? So this morning, we're going to look at repentance from dead works. So if we look at this list from Hebrews 6 and we follow it through in the order that it is given, it spans the entire gamut of the Christian experience. It starts from the sinner's initial response of repentance, and then it takes us on by logical succession to the climax in eternity of all the Christian experience in resurrection and eternal judgment. Now, we'll get to resurrection and eternal judgment, but you have to wait a few weeks. But today we're starting where it talks about repentance from dead works. So let's look at the word repentance and then we'll look at the word dead works so that we're all on the same page. So the definition of repentance is an inner change of mind resulting in an outward turning back. It's a turning around, it's to face and to move in a completely new direction. So repentance is, is metanoia. It is an afterthought. It is a, to perceive afterwards. Um, how many of you have ever made a horrific decision and then you all of a sudden contemplated that life choice and uh, you said, what I'm doing is not good. And true repentance looks like, not like, oh, it's not a big deal and you kind of stand there. It is actually turning away from and walking away from whatever it is that you just did. It's a turning away, it's, it's getting proximity between you and that sin, and it's really turning back to where we're turning towards God rather than turning towards that sin. That's what true repentance looks like. So you can have tears and not a change of direction, and that's not true repentance. We see this a lot of times. People are heartbroken or they're crying or they're sorrowful. But sorrow does not, and, and human sorrow or remorse does not necessarily determine true repentance. 
And we want to look at that. So true repentance is a firm inward decision, a change of mind, which should result in a change of direction. You're either walking towards sin or you have turned away from it. Because we're all born into sin. We're all there. We have to turn away from that and turn towards God. So that's what repentance looks like. So it is a turning to. It, it, to repent means to turn, to return, or to turn back. And that isn't just staying the same course and hoping it just works out. It's completely turning away from going a different direction. So let's look real quick the difference between remorse and repentance. And there's two kind of stories in the Bible. We're not going to turn to those, but I'm going to paraphrase those. Um, but the story of Judas and the story of the prodigal. When we look at both of those stories, we kind of see one person who has human sorrow in Matthew 27, 3 through 4, if you just want to jot those down, and then Luke 15, 17 through 20 is the story of the prodigal. But in the story of Judas, it says he betrayed him, he saw that Jesus was condemned, and he was seized with remorse. He repented himself, is what the King James Version says. He returned his 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. So in this example, it says that he repented himself. And the word used here is metamelin, which is remorse and anguish, not metatoia, which is a change of mind and a change of course. So when we look at the Greek and we look at the Hebrew, it gives us a little bit better understanding that he just really felt really bad about what he did. Now, we realize sometimes we feel bad because we got caught. You ever been there, done that? It's not a good place. The moment you get caught, you've you got to come to Jesus moment. You can either really, really stay in that, you know, that just remorse and feeling bad, and hopefully that the, they'll forget and just kind of forgive you, and you can go about your business, or you can have a come to Jesus moment where you realize what you really, really did and the severity of it and the harm that it's causing all around your life and choose to come to your senses, turn away, and go and sin no more. That was the instruction. It said, go and sin no more. Don't sit there and be like, oh, I'm sorry. I'll try to not do it again. You ever been there, done that? If you stay right there and you don't have a change of mind and you don't have a change of direction, you'll continue to wallow in that sin. But he, Judas was just upset. He was bummed out about what he did. He tried to return the silver and said, hey, the blood's on your hands. And that was it. But we see just a remorse. We, we don't see a really a godly sorrow. But in the prodigal, in Luke 15, we see that it says, when he came to his senses, he says, I am going to return. What does return look like? Right here, I am turning and I am going back to my father's house where I, they have food to spare. He says, I am here starving to death. Now, there are times that God will use your situation to change your course. You'll realize that where you are at is not satisfying and it's not complete. You got to come to a place of true, true repentance. Right? What kind of, what, what kind of repentance would it have been? It said, well, you know... It sure would be better in my father's house and he stays in the pig pen. But some of us do that. We know it would be better here, but there's no turning away. There's not turning back to the father. But he says he turns, he returns to the father. Um, and so he, it says he got up and he went to his father. So he turned away from his sin and he returned to his father. So I think we get the, the example of what true repentance looks like, right? Repentance is a turning away. It's turning away from that sin. It's turning back towards God. So there's a turning away. We got that, right? So that's what true repentance, godly repentance is, not just worldly sorrow. Um, so let's look at the other part of that. And because we need to look at what we understand what repentance looks like, but what is dead works? 
Because it says repentance from what? From dead works. So we have to understand what repentance is, but when we think about what is dead works. So the easiest way to explain what dead works is, it is an act that leads to death. It is representing evil deeds. So dead works focuses around me being able to earn or even possibly save myself by my own merit, thinking I may possibly deserve it or that I can attain it. Now, I know in the church, how many of you feel like sometimes if you're good, God loves you more? Don't lie to me. And then some of you say, well, if I'm bad or I did a lot of bad things, oh, man, now I'm camping over here. God loves me a little bit less. It has never been about merit. It has never been about what you can do. Did I do enough to tip the scales where when I die, I've done enough good things to where God will let me in? We have to repent from any self-righteous acts. We have to repent from anything that we think is of value of allowing us into heaven. Those are dead works. Anything that we do by ourselves. Now we do that a lot. Hey God, look at me. I read my Bible this week. Great, but is your heart towards me or far from me? Right? I mean, it doesn't matter what we do. We can do the right things and still miss heaven. If we are just pursuing dead works. Right? Once we come to know Jesus, what we do matters. But without Jesus, it doesn't matter what we do. So it is really repenting in all of those things that we thought are valuable of merit towards God, of earning my way, of making my way. We have to understand dead works are focusing on what you are doing or trying to do to save yourself. But we have to understand that dead works, when we are all dead, there's nothing we can do in and of ourselves to save ourselves. You know, I kind of visualize it as kind of being stuck in a big hole and there's no escape. You can do everything in your own strength to try to get out of that hole. You can jump, you can cry, you can scream, you can cry, you can do whatever you want to do. You can plead, but it's only the lifeline of Jesus that rescues you out of that place. Throws the rope to you and he allows you to get out of a situation that you cannot get yourself out of. A dead man on his best day will only produce nothing but dead works. Say that one more time. A dead man on his best day will produce nothing but dead works. That's what you do within your own, on your best day, apart from Jesus. I'm set, so, so make sure you're separating this. I'm talking about not the grace of God working your life. I'm talking in your own merit. What you think you contribute to the picture, this is what the Bible says, Isaiah 64, 6. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts. Now, when we use that word righteous, we think those are good things, right? All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Because those things are not good enough. So we can do nothing to save ourselves. You can do nothing to save yourself. So what this passage is communicating, you have to re repent from thinking so. I think a lot of times uh, we think because we're good or we come to church or we've done the right things. That we're good. We've made it. Do you realize you can obey everything here? And still not know God. You can do the right thing. The righteous thing. And still miss heaven. 
You can't earn it. <laughs> and truly, all of us don't deserve it. But Jesus comes on the scene and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6 says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's look at a few more passages. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, let's pause just for a moment. You got to understand, this is where you came from. This is step number one. Don't miss this, though. You have to understand where you were to appreciate where you are. If you think you earned it and you kind of pop your collar, you know, like, look at me. I got it all figured out. I helped God. You didn't help God do anything. He's trying to mess to fix your messed upness, right, is what was going on with that. You didn't do anything. I even think a lot of times we think we find God, but God really finds us. Right? We think we're pursuing, like, I'm talking about go back to your devil days. You got to go back and you got to think about that. I was lost and, I, and then I was found and I wasn't even pursuing the things of God, but I got to the rock bottom. I didn't know what to do. And I looked up and God was there wallowing in my poopy pamper, doing the best I can. And my life still smelt. You ever been around a kid that that pamper has just like, I'm talking like Benner. Some of your parents still live and it's like, you just, it has marinated. You're getting it. You're feeling it now. <laughs> You're like, yeah, yeah. I can tell when MDO leaves a dirty diaper in my hallway. They've learned and they put it outside of the door. Because I walk out and all of a sudden I'll begin to reminisce of those pamper explosion days. You ever had one of those? You ain't lived till you had one of those where the pamper didn't work. For some reason it just went. Been there? Any parent not experienced that? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the word. Hey, that's what we were like. Sinful, separated. It says, you were dead in your sins, in your transgressions. Verse 2 of Ephesians 2. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh. It says all of us were among them. This wasn't like, oh, I was blessed into a good godly family and I was exempt. No, all of us were there, okay? Um, and following the desires and the thoughts like the rest, we, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy has made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Right? Romans 3, 21 through 28, New Living Translation. Sorry, I'm giving you a lot of scripture, but I want the scripture to preach for itself. Verse 21, it says, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. Oh, hold, hold on. We don't have to follow the law. What's going on? He says, to not, without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Verse 22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pause there just for a moment. I can try to do the law thing and fall short every single day. Or I can do the Jesus thing, which allows me to be made right with God. When we're just pursuing the things of the law and the instructions and the precepts, we are working towards dead works. When we place our faith in Jesus, we are placing our faith in Christ, which we'll look at next week, faith in Christ. But we are at, the first part we are at is everything we are doing in our own strength apart from Jesus' dead works. Continuing in verse 22, it says, And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. 
Verse 23, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in past times. For he was looking ahead and he included them in what, was, what would be done in the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just. And he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Verse 27, can we boast or can we celebrate then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal, that is mean being made free or being made clear, is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not obeying the law. Right? We think by doing what is right, we earn the right to be accepted by God. But the reality is that our actions can be in obedience to God but our hearts can be far from God. But anything that we do to earn it on our own, that's what we have to repent from. Think about it just for a moment. I'm not going to judge you, but please judge yourself just for a moment. Has there been the error of being self-righteous in certain areas of your life where maybe you have felt like you helped God out? Or maybe you've looked to your left and to your right and said, oh, better than that guy. I'm better than that girl. Well, I'm not as bad as him. It's still based on what you do, what you don't do. And it says all of these things within your own strength are dead works. So the moment we begin to see those things at dead works, what does it say? We should what for dead works? Repent. Turn away from Change the way we think. No longer have confidence in the dead works, but have our, our confidence and our faith turned towards God. You got it? It's really simple. Like, I mean, if you're still there, you got to get that right. Nothing else is going to matter. If you think you've earned it and deserved it, good luck. Don't get to heaven and say, God, look what I did. You better say, look what Jesus did. Because that's the only way in. It says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Right? There's no cheat code to get into heaven. Amen. There is. There's no other way. But our dependence and our trust in who God is. But any self-dependence or self-confidence is a sin and has to be repented of. We have to come to the place of where we trust and we repent from those dead works. I want you to pause just for a moment. Close your eyes real quick. Is there anything in your life that God wants to deal with right now? Is there a fracture in your foundation? Instead of cement, you put a little bit of bubble gum on that foundation hoping it's going to hold. It's not going to hold anything. All you have to do is say, Lord... Help me in that area of trusting in my own righteousness, of trusting in myself, thinking that I could earn it or deserve it or accomplish something great on my own. 
Change your mind, change your perspective, and then change your direction. All right, you guys look at me one more time real quick. So being made right with God, it has nothing to do with what I do, but it has everything to do with Jesus and my faith in him. That's so much easier because Jesus didn't mess it up. We will mess it up, but Jesus didn't. It's about being covered, not being correct. I hope my life is always covered by the blood of Jesus and not just being right. It says we all miss God's glorious standard and when we think we can attain it based on what we do or don't do, that's creating dead works. So here's our simple response. I'm gonna give you four ways to respond to repentance from dead works. Number one, we gotta realize any self-dependence in earning your way to God. Any self-dependence, anything you've done, anything you've added to the, to the mix in, in the vein of earning your way. So realize it, it's number one. Number two, repent from anything and everything you have tried to do on your own. What have you tried to do? Right, maybe when God threw the rope, we helped climb up. No, he, he pulled you out, right? It's nothing we do on our own. Then redirect your faith in Jesus as the only way, truth, and life. Redirect that focus. Trust in who God is. And then number four, rest in knowing it is Christ alone that you are made good enough. Can we stand up? That's the best part. I ain't got to do nothing. My father's got it. He's covered me. He's made me good enough. Man, there is such rest and peace in that. Resting in knowing it is Christ alone that you're made good enough. Simple, yet fundamental. Has this helped anybody? It's very fundamental, very basic. We're going to keep moving. But you have to realize anything else from here on that we build within our own power, we're probably building wrong. But there is something changes that changes when our heart is transformed into God, where we tend to kind of start building a little bit of kingdom merit. But prior to our relationship with Jesus, there is nothing that you and I can do to save ourselves. Any righteous, any acts of trying to be good enough, those are dead works. And we're to repent of those. Amen. Think about this. It's fundamental. Think about this message. Next week, we're going to look at faith towards God, faith in God, however you guys want to communicate that. Um, and we're just going to keep moving. Everybody wants to grow, right? Meat, not milk, right? If you're like, I got that, I got that. What's next week? Come back next week. Um, before I pray over you and I dismiss you, so I know we just got back from vacation and um, we're here this week. So this Thursday, Becky and I are leaving for Brazil. We're going to be gone another two weekends. Uh, I know we're leaving the church in capable hands. I thank God that we got great leaders. We got great people in this church. The church is doing well. All y'all showed up. I was off two weeks. It didn't sound like, oh, no. What we're building here, guys, is not built around Becky and I, but it's a, built around the body of Christ. Um, can I get you please to be praying for Becky and I? Not that I'm, like, fearful of the trip, but there's going to be a lot of speaking engagement. This is not going to be like a, 
Max, relax, kick back. It's going to be a pretty uh, involved trip, a lot of preaching, conferences, different things like that. Um, but just be praying for wisdom and direction, safety. My kiddos are going to stay here with my in-laws. Um, we will be back the 5th of July. Um, and we are leaving Thursday. But, man, uh, let me tell you real quick. Becky and I did full-time missions for about a year and a half, two years. Um, this is our first trip that we went on since we've been pastoring. And I remember telling God, I said, God, there's no way to do both. There's so much of a responsibility and there's so many people that, that, that I got to be responsible for. Whatever, you know, like that's kind of how I felt. I was like, Lord, there's no way that I can do both. And I feel like this year God said, watch me. I'll enable you to do both because there's still a vein of missions that is part of my heart. Now, the humility in me is like, Lord, why the heck do you need me to go to Brazil? Can't you use somebody in Brazil to do what you need to do? It'd be a lot cheaper. It'd be more convenient and be easier. But I know that there is something substantial that God needs me to do in Brazil. Or I wouldn't be putting all this effort going to Brazil. But I want to challenge you. The hopes, the dreams, the things that God puts in your heart, he'll bring those things to pass. And guess what? God's either got it all together or he doesn't. And even in that trusting as a pastor, I just trust God. Right? I'm helping you, but God's holding you. Right? God's got it while we're gone. But please be praying for us, uh, just for wisdom and direction. And you know, we're gonna have a good time too, because you eat good in Brazil. It's not one of those sacrificial eating kind of places. But I'm just believing for the power of God not to just go with us there, but to continually fill the pulpit and fill this building here. That you will not lack. Uh, you guys know it's not just about me, right? let you down if you're like yeah pastor it's all about no we're gonna we got great speakers we had two great speakers the last two weekends this next this next sunday uh pat martinez is gonna preach the week after that pastor jim hardaway is gonna preach they're all good man we're gonna keep growing together and be obedient to all that god has called us to amen be obedient that's all i can that's all i can tell you to do going on this trip's a little stressful you know, I feel like I'm letting you down because I was gone two weeks. I came back. I'm leaving for two weeks again. That's not, that's not like church, like strategy. You don't leave for that long altogether, that many weekends. But when God says do something, we have to do it and be obedient. Amen. I hope you get excited when I leave because the services are just as good. But I hope you miss me a little bit. Let me pray for you. All right. Can you guys commit to pray for me? Who's going to commit to pray for me? Please lift your hand. And then if you forget, pray you're convicted and you start praying for me. All right? Because God saw you raise your hand. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for each one here this morning. And Father, I thank you that we get to be a part of your kingdom and a part of your family. Father, if there is someone here this morning that has tried to earn it by their own way, Father, I pray that they would come to their senses they would realize that Jesus is the only way to the Father. And maybe there's someone here this morning that you don't even have a relationship with the Lord. And if you don't have a relationship with the Lord and you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus, there is no way to heaven apart from Jesus. So when I dismiss you, we're going to have the prayer team. Prayer team, you guys can go ahead and come on up. But as I dismiss, I want you to go ahead and come up and say, man, I've never given my life to Jesus. That's the first step. Repenting from your own dead works and pray, place, placing your trust in Jesus. But Lord, that you would just help us be all that you've called us to be. Lord, I pray that we would be mature. 
I pray that you would help us grow. And I don't care what place we're at today. Father, I pray that over the course of these next six weeks, we would see growth in our lives. Lord, I thank you for all that you're doing. And God, I ask that you would help us to see the areas where we need to grow. Father, I pray that we would just approach your throne of grace with humility. And Father, that we wouldn't be arrogant or boastful or prideful. And Father, if there's any good thing in our life that people see, it's because you put it there. And Father, we thank you for what you're doing and that we will grow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All you fathers out there, we love you. Hey, fathers, you got what it takes. God picks you for the job that he gave you. And be all that he's called you to. We love you guys. Be blessed. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like to know more about our family, follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash HTC Bay City or find us on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.